0: Good evening, you're listening to the Parliament of Rooks Podcast, episode 10, Funeral for a Friend. Bye-bye, love. Bye-bye, sweet caress. Hello, emptiness. I feel like I could die. Bye-bye, your life goodbye. Bye-bye, my life goodbye. Bye-bye, your life goodbye. Parliament of Brooks podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise.
1: And this is his wife, Melanie Lanise.
0: So first things first, I want to apologize for the uh, the delay in release uh, on this episode. You know, normally we get these out on Saturday, um, but unfortunately circumstances uh, necessitated uh, taking a little bit longer with this one. Um, as I mentioned on our last episode, you know, we were going to be dealing with the, uh, the death of one of the characters that we had been talking about um, thus far. And uh, you know, in a very sort of tragic case of, of life-imitating art, in the ensuing week, uh, we actually had a, a real-life death uh, affect us. Um, one of the, uh, the shining lights of the uh, comic fandom community, uh, my good friend Michael Lash, uh, unfortunately, uh, passed away earlier this week. And I just wanted to take a few moments, you know, at the uh, the forefront of, of this episode, um, you know, just to remember him and, you know, the, the innumerable contributions he made, not only to uh, um, to my own life, you know, but to the uh, the overall uh, comic community uh, at large. Um, if you've been involved, you know, in, in comic internet fandom for any length of time at all, uh, you've probably at some point, you know, come across Michael Lash or or his work. Um, I first encountered him back in um, 2007 on the uh, the old DC Comics boards. Um, you know, and at the time that, uh, you know, I first joined there, you know, I was a sort of a Johnny-come-lately. Um, that had been uh, in existence, you know, by that point, probably for about um, seven or eight years. And, uh, you know, even from the early days, you know, Michael was, uh, you know, a huge presence on there, you know, across the, uh, the old Wonder Woman forums or, you know, the, uh, you know, certainly the, the Legion of Superheroes forums, um, you know, he became a, a sort of uh, leading voice, you know, among those communities. Um, The one thing you have to understand about, uh, you know, comic forums is that, you know, certainly back in the day, and, you know, even to a certain extent today, there's a a great level of uh, anonymization, you know, people go in there under, you know, fake names, and, you know, they sort Mm. of use these, um, these masks, if you will, to, you know, like, um, say things that they wouldn't ordinarily. Um, One of Michael's, you know, greatest contributions around that was sort of breaking down those walls. Um, you know, one of the things you know in the community that I'm most involved in, you know, currently on Legion World, the uh, um, you know the Legion Superheroes fan site, is a, a group called the LMB, which ah. is the uh, the Legion of Message Board Posters. Well, that's coming up, believe it or not, on its 16th anniversary. It um, was so actually back on uh, March 12th of 2000 that Michael first proposed the idea. You know, he basically uh, coming out of a thread uh, that was titled "Who Are You," which was basically, "Hey, introduce yourself. What's your real name? Where are you from?" So on and so forth. He then gathered up a lot of the uh, contributors to that thread and said, "From this point onward, we're, we're going to be known as the Legion of Message Board Posters." Uh, you know? okay. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, centered around that idea of you know, posters with common interests who um, who wanted to explore aspects of their relationships, you know, beyond just their their interest in, in comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really an amazing idea if you stop to think about it, and it's one that uh, you know has personally affected me, you know, to to a great level. Um, like I say, you know, once I made, became aware of the you know the existence of the the LMB, you know, I became a rather active member, you know, in that community, and uh, and a few years back, sort of made it a uh, um, a mission statement that I was going to try to meet in person as many of these mm, folks I as remember. possible, and uh, you know, one of those folks, uh, you know, obviously was uh, was Michael Lash. Um, I traveled down to Memphis, Tennessee, you know, Lash's, uh, his home and stomping grounds there and, you know, where he was the absolute most gracious host, you know, I, I could possibly imagine, you know, a, a complete Southern gentleman. He, uh, you know, he gave me the, uh, the tour of Memphis, uh, you know, we went out for lunch, we went out for drinks, and then, uh, and then he took me to the, uh, the Peabody Hotel, sort of landmark there in Memphis, you know, and then, um, for, for two reasons. Uh, number one, to observe a, uh, a Memphian tradition, you know, whereby, it's very odd, but, you know, each day, you know, at a certain time, they will take ducks that they keep up on the roof, bring them down through the hotel in an elevator. As the elevator doors open, these ducks will then walk out into the lobby all the way into a fountain, <laughs> and then, like, you know, one by one, go into the fountain. So, last wanted to make sure that, you know, I saw this bizarre, you know, Memphian tradition, and then uh, and then secondarily, you know, after, you know, we'd watched this, we then took the elevator up, you know, to the roof. Um, so he could show me the uh, the view of the city. You know, there's a certain point you can stand and look across the border of three different states. And uh, you know one of my favorite little stories uh, anecdotes to tell, you know about that experience is, uh, you know, I'd never been to Memphis before. I'd never been to Tennessee, I think, but um you know, as I'm standing up there, I see a river, and I'm like, oh, you know what what river's that down there? At which point he just like you know sort of spins around to me and you know with mock horror he's like son that's the mighty Mississippi you know in his southern drawl there, um, but you know he was he was just a fabulous dude you know it's like so creative so kind you know like honestly if if you knew him at all that's the one thing that you know I, I've told you before Melanie you know that absolutely comes through him mean, you know I've known him nine years. And not once in all that time have I ever heard anybody say a negative word about him. You know, he just, he had that kind of positivity, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I also said the word creativity. Um, So with that in mind, you know, I I wanted to just take a moment and, you know, talk about a few of the creative endeavors, you know, that that Lash left behind. Um, You know, he was a lifelong fan of comic books, you know, in, in, in all forms, you know, but especially centered around, you know things from the 70s, you know, that's the era that, that he grew up in and he always, you know, had a lifelong fondness, you know, for the, the sort of um, Bronze Age type, you know, uh, ethic. And, uh, and to that end, you know, I would like to point people toward, uh, you know, a couple of things he leaves as his legacy on, on Facebook. Um, I mentioned Legion World, the website that's legionworld.net, but also on Facebook, there is a, uh, a group, you know, that was run by him and then our, our mutual friend, uh, Alec Fernandez, Basically, that's a community, you know, of Legion fans, you know, for sharing art and stories and so on and so forth. Uh, but in those same veins, uh, Lash also has a couple other Facebook groups, you know, as well. Um, Super Squad is one that you can look up that uh, has to do with the, uh, the 1970s um, revival of the JSA. And then additionally, uh, there's one called Great Frog, which uh, if, if anybody is a fan of the latter-day 70s Teen Titans, you'll recognize that as the, uh, the name of the band that uh, Green Arrow's younger partner, Speedy, fronted. <laughs> and so Lash just like he ate up the cheesiness of that, and like I say, you know, so that would be his third Facebook group. Um, in addition to being a fan of comics, uh, he was also a comic creator. Um, you know, he always had a, a passion for, for writing and, and drawing, you know, to, uh, and, you know, people who know his artwork, you know, will we'll take this in stride when I say, you know, to varying degrees of, of proficiency, um, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Lash's one of his big art projects was what he termed uh, Fandango. It was basically him tooling around in Microsoft Paint and making a series of, uh, you know, humorous little uh, um, vignettes and, uh, and I wanted to point folks um, to a site on the web, and I'll also post this on our site, called um, Full Frontal Fandango. This is basically the collection of uh, you know a, a large portion of, of you know, Lash's little doodles, and uh, you can find that at lashlaugh.wordpress.com, and like I say, I'll post a link to that in the, in the show notes. So that was his, like I say, his sort of like novice effort at, at artwork. But then on the writing side, uh, he also had a, another venture um, that he paired up with a, an artist called uh, Dean Lee, uh, who also happens to be a friend of mine, um, for a series called Star Searchers. And what this was was basically Lash's um, teenage stories that he would write, you know, when he was like 13, 14 years old, and he would just keep them in notebooks and so on and so forth. And he never thought in a million years that this would ever come to fruition. But then when, you know, he got talking with Dean, they decided to collaborate and like, you know, and, you know, Lash writes that, you know, it was like seeing, you know, his childhood dreams come to life, you know, so you can find Star Searches as well on Lash's site. And then there was a a short follow up that I don't think ever came to full fruition, but Lash and Dean began collaborating on on a second uh, uh, effort called uh, Love Sucks, which is basically about a a succubus demoness, you know, <laughs> it was uh, starts a relationship with a man. But like I say, I think there might be only like one or two pages of that one. But you can f- at least find you know the full uh, the full issue of Star Searchers out there. Um, so like I say, you know, I, I did want to take a moment, you know, and, and just. Um, you know, say goodbye to my friend. Um, you know, he he meant a great deal to me, and, and like I say, you know, a great deal to the uh, the community at large. So, um, so with that in mind, you know, I, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you, Lash, um, for everything you gave me, and you know, and I miss you a lot. So I had considered, like you, like I say, you know, changing the the stories that we were going to to cover tonight. You know, just like I say, you know, they're going to deal with the the death of a character, and I thought, you know, in light of you know the, this this personal um, tragedy. That it might be a good idea to to change that up and, you know, go with something a little lighter. Um, but the more and more I thought about it, you know, I decided that if Lash were here and, you know, and if I were to put that question to him directly, he would absolutely tell me to go ahead with it. You know, the, I, he was never one to, you know, shy away from a, a creative vision. Um, you know, so with that in mind, I, I am going to, you know, continue with the, the stories that we had planned for uh, tonight. So uh, the first of those two stories then uh, is going to come to us from House of Secrets number 73 um, from July-August of 1965. And uh, I know I've been, uh, you know, sort of baiting the, the topic, but uh, I think the, the title of the story is going to give it away. Uh, it is entitled The Death of of mark merlin no
1: i like mark merlin
0: <laughs> <laughs> so does elsa but uh <laughs> but unfortunately uh you know it's a uh, time to say farewell to our supernatural sleuth um and so also unfortunate uh, is the fact that um, we have both a, a new writing and a new art team uh for this you know we had expressed our fondness in the past you know for the the artwork of, of mort meskin mm-hmm. um there's a new uh, artist here on both uh, pencils and inks a fellow by the name of uh, bernard bailey who um, you know has a distinct style, all you know of his own. He uh, he's probably most famously known for being the uh, artistic creator of a character called uh, the Spectre, um, who we've briefly seen. He was one of the members of the uh, the JSA, the sort of ghost-looking fellow. Oh, okay. And uh, and we're going to get into his story, you know, on our podcast in in a few episodes. Um, but like I say, that's Bernard Bale is most closely linked to him. Uh, it was a co-creation with Jerry Siegel, the uh, the original writer, as we talked about for Superman. Mm. Um, and the, and the writer on, uh, this story is, uh, is Bob Haney, who we had previously met as the, uh, the writer of, uh, Eclipso. And I mentioned that he was sort of a, you know, a wacky type writer. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> there's going to be some of those elements here in this one, you know, we can please, you know, look for some, uh, some whacked out ideas. All right. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, and pull up our cover. Which uh, basically has no Mark Merlin content whatsoever. This is just a a straight out Eclipso cover, you know, with uh, uh, he's battling some sort of giant frog creature.
1: (laughs) But, you know, it's very purple.
0: It is very purple. So, you know, but uh, there's not even there's not even any sort of text on here indicating that, that, you know, there's a a rather important Mark Merlin story inside. Um, So we're going to have to turn the, the pages to discover that for ourselves which, uh, believe it or not, is the very first uh, page. You know, we see the the opening splash, you know, with the, the title emblazoned, The Death of Mark Merlin. As our narrative box reads, Mark Merlin has often risked his life in his ceaseless battle against the unknown, but now he's hurled into an adventure no mortal has ever experienced, where the supernatural sleuth must actually give up his life so that a new star, a new fighter, a new champion can come forth to battle the dark powers with... The death of Mark Merlin. No, <laughs> and uh, we see a very sort of odd scene. You know, it looks like a uh, Egyptian type thing. You know, we see a pharaoh type character. You know, with a a young sort of Egyptian princess there, and the pharaoh saying farewell. Mark Merlin, enter Prince Raman, master of the powers of the six sided sun, and uh, he's gesturing to uh. Uh, who we're assuming must be Prince Raman. A, uh, you know, sort of dashing figure, you know, with a, uh, you know, a goatee and, um, you know, sort of white stripe through his hair. Um, dressed in a very strange garb, you know, sort of diaphanous light green shirt and, you know, and green slacks. Uh, he's got a belt with the, uh, the aforementioned six-sided sun emblazoned on the buckle. And, uh, and topping it all off, he's got a, an orange cape. And uh, and then into, or perhaps out of, we're not sure, we'll see what the story is, uh, Raman, we see it uh, looks like to be the spirit of Mark Merlin, sort of spiraling, mm, yeah. you know, either either in or out. So
1: uh, I'm guessing out, out, given the title.
0: Yeah, so uh, let's delve into our story here and, and find out what's going on. So we begin as night wraps the mansion on Mystery Hill like a shroud, and from it comes a despairing scream. Aah! It's somebody saying from inside. <laughs> And, uh, and rushing into the room to find out what's going on, Mark Merlin, master of the supernatural, heads for the library, where his beautiful fiance and secretary Elsa has been working. Oh, they're calling her fiance now. Oh, yeah, things are things uh, are progressing. Yeah, ramping up. Blazes says Mark Merlin, Blazes? my old enemy, the Gargoyle. As uh, as we're looking at the Gargoyle, looks to be sort of a uh, green alien-looking fellow. Um, he's holding looks to be I don't know like a lantern or something. And uh, the gargoyle says,
1: Hi, Magical.
0: Yes, Merlin, I've come to finish the battle between us, which you thought you'd won. And so, <laughs> in response, uh, Mark lunges toward a nearby bowl of fruit as the gargoyle responds, <laughs> I expected you to try one of your cult tricks, Merlin, as a, uh, a beam shoots out of the gargoyle's lantern. That beam! says uh, Mark as it hits him square in the forehead. And the very next moment, uh, we see Mark Merlin, you know, pull a. Uh, a Ray Palmer here, as as he begins shrinking, you know the, the atom. Oh, oh <laughs> right. okay. As, uh, as Elsa says, "Mark, what's happening to you? <laughs> <laughs> you missed my Elsa voice, didn't you? <laughs> oh no, he's getting smaller, dwindling away. It's like falling through a crevice into the earth. Mark shrinks, shrinks until Mark." gone yes my lovely one says the gargoyle and he never had a chance to use this orange which no doubt contained one of his clever potions no doubt yes no doubt (laughs) so mark merlin says the gargoyle go beyond the portals of the known world go to meet your rendezvous with destiny the gargoyle has triumphed ha 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 i continued on the second page following uh, as we go to that second page, we see that Mark cannot hear the mad laughter of his bizarre foe, for he falls through multiple planes of time and space in a ringing darkness that stretches in an eternal void. As we see, uh, you know, Mark sort of in a subatomic world, little electrons and protons, you know, buzzing about him. As, uh, as finally, you know, he falls to ground, you know, in the, uh, in that Egyptian scene we saw on the splash page. Mm-hmm. As he, he lands in the sand saying, this place, so strange and so peaceful. As he looks up into the sky and sees that green hexagonal sun and that pyramid, just like those of ancient Egypt, where have I come to?
1: I don't know. Where has he come to?
0: Well, we're about to find out. As uh, as Mark heads toward the pyramid and enters that time-worn structure, as uh, as we see him coming face to face, you know, with the, uh, the sort of Egyptian crew that we saw on the splash page. You know, as the pharaoh fellow and, you know, the, the young Egyptian princess, uh, sort of guard in the back. And then uh, looming in the background, you know, we see a statue that looks very similar, I think, to the uh, the statue from Captive of the Cat Curse. Yeah, you know, same right. sort of, like, mem- Memkata style thing. As, uh, as the pharaoh-type dude says, Welcome, Voyager, to our dimension, the world of Ra. I am Kronyak, and this is my daughter Rima and our friends. Ra, says Mark Merlin, you mean... I'm in another dimension? Another world? But how? Your puzzlement will soon end, says the pharaoh. Or Krainiak, I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, long ago we lived in your world, in Egypt land. I was the greatest scientist of our civilization, but an evil time came. As uh, Krainiak begins, uh, you know, telling a little flashback. The pharaoh demanded that I use my talents for his glory to extend his conquest. I refused and, as we see the uh, the pharaoh in the flashback saying, You defy me, Krainiak! Then you and your friends shall suffer a living entombment. Farewell, wizard. Mm. Solve this problem if you can. Ha ha ha! But mighty Pharaoh did not know that I had already anticipated and solved this terrible problem. For aimed at the pyramid from the roof of my home and laboratory was my wizard's lantern. And so, as the uh, as the Pharaoh seals up, you know, Krynyak and his friends, um, they waited, sealed up in the living tomb. As uh, suddenly it begins fading. What? says the pharaoh. The pyramid, solid stone, vanishes before my eyes. Sorcery! Aye! Says a a guard standing by. And uh, as we come back to present time, and Kragniak concludes, it was sorcery, he says. Using a device handed down from my ancestor, the great Imhotep, I sent the pyramid and all within to another dimension, this world of Ra. Fantastic, says Mark. Then you have all been here four thousand years, interrupts the, the daughter, what's her name, Rima, um, 4,000 years, handsome stranger, but we have not aged. Am I not young and desirable? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Very beautiful and desirable, Rima, says Mark Merlin. Um, and Kragniak uh, comes back and says, Our existence under the hexagonal green sun has given us immortality and happiness. But, but then there's no way back to the other world, asks Mark. Not for any of us, replies Kragniak. And you are the first to reach Ra since we came. Obviously, someone found Imhotep's lantern. Yes, Cragniac, thinks Mark, an old enemy of mine, the gargoyle. He must have unearthed it in Egypt and realized its unique power. No matter, says Cragniac, you are one of us now, for eternity. It looks like he's like rubbing his hands together. They're like, ah. Yeah. Great specters, says Mark, uh, misspelled. <laughs> I am trapped here forever. <laughs> that might not prove so painful, says Rima. She's really got the hots for Mark. <laughs> yeah. Come, I shall show you around this trap. <laughs> What's she implying? I'm,
1: I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so as the exotic girl starts to take the stunned supernatural sleuth to this unknown world, she says, You have the face of tragedy, Mark Merlin. Why? And Mark replies, In my own world, Rima, I left the one that I love, in the power of an enemy who sent me here. I must get back. I must. Uh, but Rima's not having any of it. She no. throws herself at Mark and says, My father told you. There's no way back. Forget her. 4,000 years I've longed <laughs> to have a man like you. Basically anyone. Right. <laughs> you, you, can, you can be happy here under the green sun. Yes. Yes, I can feel I would be, <laughs> Rima. Wow. Says Mark. And so Mark suddenly takes her up in a, in, a, in a kiss, you know, with thoughts of Elsa apparently, you know, fleeing from his mind. Um, but suddenly, um, you know, his little amorous tryst with uh rima's broken as a as a guard comes up and thuds him on the head what Oof! so mark knocked on the ground out of gamel's way stranger gamel that's the um from uh from captive of the cat curse that was the uh that student's name i was oh, yeah. uh yeah it's uh gamel saik which um that ostensibly was written by uh arnold drake and this is uh bob haney i think um if I'm remembering, comics.org had a question mark around Arnold Drake. I think we might have just solved the mystery. <laughs> like, I mean, kind of Think about it. The likelihood that two writers would both use the name Gamel, mm. I think is kind of... I, I bet that earlier one was Bob Haney, too. Um, but anyway, so Gamel, you know, hits Mark on the head. And, uh, and shortly, you know, we see uh, Mark stumbling into the, uh, the, you know, pyramid home of Cragniac there. And he's like, Cragniac, someone attacked me, carried off Rima. We know Mark Merlin, replies uh, Cragniac. It was Gamel. He alone has been unhappy here and longed for power. I don't think he alone. Clearly Rima's unhappy too. Um, this note he left here demands that I give him the secret of making the cat god unclench its paw so that he may gain the enormous power the replica of the green sun contains, or I may never see Rima again. As uh, we see this, So the statue is basically holding like a, a jeweled replica of the sun, apparently that holds power. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Says Mark Merlin. Give him the secret then. "'But I do not know the secret,' says Cronyac. "'No one does. "'For centuries in ancient Egypt, "'many men tried to make the cat god release the replica, "'and all failed. "'Gamal thinks I know the secret, but believe me, I do not.' "'Well, something must be done,' says Mark. "'But trying to rescue her with ordinary means "'might result in harm to Rima.' "'So then, as Mark absentmindedly fingers an object on his chest, "'Wait a minute,' says Mark. "'The cat charm I used to transfer my mind into Moncada's body. "'It's an ancient relic. "'It's possible it could be related to this cat god "'and its mystic secret.' You think, Mark? Given the statue looks <laughs> exactly like the the one where you got the amulet, um, so holding the emerald eye charm, so both his own eyes and those of the great cat god are reflected in it. Mark says it's a way out chance, but I must try anything. As we see, you know, Mark sort of making a direct line, you know, vision, you know, between him and the cat god with the amulet in between. He
1: looks so serious there.
0: Yes, he's, he's concentrating all of his uh, his mystical powers. As uh, then, oh. Mark staggers and falls to the ground, dropping the uh, the cat amulet. So, as Mark collapses, the transference is made. Mark's mind into the body of the cat god. Really, he transferred his mind into the statue.
1: I hope he can move.
0: <laughs> now to will myself in this form to unclench my paw thinks, uh, <laughs> Mark Cat Statue. <laughs> and in the next instant, behold, the cat god gives up his prize, as indeed the, uh, the statue's hand opens and the uh, uh, hexagonal sun jewel falls to the floor. And uh, as it strikes the unyielding stone with a uh, Warramph <laughs> uh, all fall silent in the ancient pyramid. Astonishing, says uh, Kragniak. The stranger solved the great secret, but lies as if dead. "'Our replica of the sun vanished,' says a a bystander. "'Destroyed, and with it, his cat charm.' Uh, "'No, he's alive,' says Cragniac. "'Mark Merlin, what is it?' As uh, Mark begins coming back to consciousness. "'I feel different,' he says, changed. "'I feel incredible power pulsing through my brain. "'Great knowledge, as if I knew all the riddles of the universe.' "'The powers so many failed to gain,' says Cragniac. "'They are now yours. "'Now all matter will bend to your mind, Mark Merlin.' You have become the greatest wizard of all time. Well, it's time to try it out, says Mark. Off to save Rima. So Mark races from the pyramid. He's dashing still in his tuxedo, mind you, across the (laughs) desert sands. They said Gamal has been living apart in those rocky hills ahead. So shortly, as he reaches those rocky hills, the stranger, says Gamal. Mark, you've come, says Rima. I'm sorry, she sounds a little bit like Elsa there. That's my fault. (laughs) Um, so your lady voice. It, yeah, So as "'The enraged Gommel lifts his mace. "'Mark's brain seems to function with incredible rapidity. "'One taste was not enough, stranger. "'We'll have another,' And "'as, uh, you know, Gommel tries to swing his mace at him. "'But suddenly, "'A cone of energy from my forehead,' "'says Mark, as indeed a cone of energy "'begins being projected out from his third eye. Um, "'Some instinct is directing it at Gamel's weapon. "'By the great sphinx,' "'says Gommel as, uh, you know, "'his mace thunks to the ground. "'My mace has become as heavy as the pharaoh's throne.' And as his foe struggles to lift his weapon again, Mark springs. Sorry, my friend, as he you know lays a, a left cross into into Gammel. Amazing! My mind willed that mace to become enormously heavy. Thinks Mark. Krennic was right. I do have the power of mind over matter. And so then afterward, as we see uh, you know Mark rejoining Rima to her father. Um, thank you for saving my daughter, Mark Merlin. As a reward, I will send you back to your own dimension if you wish. What says Mark? I thought that was impossible. It is impossible, says Krajniak, except for one who possesses the great powers of the six sided sun as you now do. You know, you might have told him that mm-hmm. at the outset and saved yeah. a lot of time, but, uh, but Rima says, uh, No, Mark, do not leave. Remain here with me. I beg you, my darling. I hate to leave this world and you, Rima, says Mark, but I must go back, first to defeat my enemy, and then to rescue another I love. Not another. <laughs> he <laughs> loves Rima after one day. Apparently. Um, then to use my new powers to battle all evildoers. Wait, one thing, says Karniak, one thing you must know. You will not return to your own dimension as Mark Merlin.
1: What? What?
0: Says Mark. No. (laughs) What? No. (laughs) Yes, the only way you can re-enter your world is in the body and the brain of another. Except for a memory of him you will retain, Mark Merlin must vanish from existence. Do not do this, Mark, says Rima. You are giving up your own life. I know, Rima. But if Mark Merlin must die so that Elsa can be saved and the gargoyle defeated, so be it. I'm ready, Czernyak. So, after Mark downs a bitter potion given to him by Czernyak, this potion will give you the body and brain of Prince Raman, says Czernyak, who died accidentally as a young man. He was reputed to be a descendant of the Egyptian sun god Ra. Now, together with your new mental powers, you can cross the barrier between here and your own world. Think, concentrate, and they will fall. As Czernyak, you know, fires up some device, you know, bathing Mark in, in this, you know, sort of rainbow light, as uh, as Mark begins fading away. Goodbye, beautiful Rima, says... uh, Hello, beautiful Elsa. (laughs) Goodbye, Mark, but not forever. I know you'll return to my world again. Uh, So at this moment, across the unfathomable void that separates Ra from our own dimension, we see uh, the gargoyle, you know, pouring over Mark's books. Mark Merlin's great collection of lore and artifacts of the unknown are now mine. Soon I shall learn how to use all of them and... what. "'What? Who are you?' says uh, the gargoyle, spinning around as the, uh, you know, the, the dashing figure we saw from the splash page, you know, appears. "'Call me Prince Rahman,' says this fellow. "'I entered from a world to which you yourself provided the key.' "'You're some friend of Mark Merlin,' says uh, the gargoyle. "'I'll blow you into bits with his magical bellows.' "'True. I am a kind of friend of Merlin. So I shall simply turn his bellows on you "'and make it emit, instead of a deadly blast, a cloud of common soot.' as uh, as raw man you know emits from his own forehead that same you know conical blast of energy that mark Merlin had ah says the uh, the gargoyle as he is bathed in soot from the bellows and then with a leap the tall traveler between two worlds seizes his sputtering foe now exit gargoyle says uh, raw man and enter Nicholas balco criminal charlatan as uh, raw man Rips off the, uh, the sort of alien mask apparently Balco was wearing, you know, in a Scooby-Doo-like fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so soon, his prisoner safely locked away. Uh, we see Elsa, you know, coming back to consciousness. Ooh, who, who are you? A friend of Mark Merlin, Elsa. Do not be afraid. You are quite safe now. But I bring you sad news. As uh, apparently he tells the tale, and moments later, Mark dead. Oh, it can't be. I'm sorry, but you will never see him again. Says Rahman. Before he died, he contacted me by occult means to come save you. Oh, poor Mark, I'm so frightened and alone. I feel I can trust you, though, (laughs) Rahman. Please help me. That is why I came, says Rahman, you know, snuggling up to Elsa. As he thinks, cry, Elsa, cry for lost Mark Merlin. I mourn for him, too, for the memory I have of my former self. But now a champion is here to battle the unknown. I, Prince Rahman. Prince Rahman, DC's most fantastic new hero, returns in the next issue of House of Secrets. Don't miss him. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so Mark Merlin gone, but uh, apparently we learn a little bit about he and Elsa's relationship. They must be 60s swingers. <laughs> yeah, that, that
1: makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
0: Mark snuggling up to Rima and, <laughs> and Elsa wasting no time with, with Rahman. Um, so, and let's not us waste any time. Let's, uh, you know, follow this story up then with the very next issue of, uh, of House of Secrets. Okay. Uh, That would be House of Secrets number 74 um, from September-October of 1965. And um, that is going to be a story entitled Wizard of a Thousand Moods. Uh, Once again, written by Bob Haney, pencils and inks by Bernard Bailey. Um, Letters, okay, I'm sorry, I think on the last story I forgot to mention letters uh, by Stan Starkman. Um, This issue actually does have a a Mark Merlin cover, or rather I should say a... uh, a Prince Man cover, because of course, you know, Mark mm, Mer- right. Merlin doesn't exist anymore. Um, so uh, I don't even begin to know how to describe what's going on. So let me just do my best here. Um, so we see uh, Prince Man, okay, <laughs> standing, you know, against a nondescript background. From his mind, you know, his third eye is shooting a, uh, you know, apparently an energy construct, which is manifesting as a, uh, a metallic mauve looking hand. It is ricocheting off a mailbox, you know, a street-level mailbox. There, shattering it, and its ricochet then is passing this hand into the path of an oncoming energy shark with like metallic tentacles coming off of it. Like I have no idea. What, like it's it literally. Well, it's
1: glowing too.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll of course you know post this image on uh, on Facebook. But boy, oh boy, this is a weird-looking scene. And then, uh, you know, off to the side we see a little a little inset, you know, with the uh, free eclipso, you know, mm. a crappy story I'm sure that we're not going to read <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> called uh, the negative eclipso. And then, uh, and then, you know, finally on our cover we see, um, you know, a, a little blurb um, saying the new sensational Prince Raman Mind Master.
1: Ooh. Yes. Mind Master.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, alliteration, right? So we had supernatural sleuth. Mm. Of course, Raman yes. is going to be Mind Master. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, get into our story here. The uh, the lead story in this one is the uh, the negative Eclipso, so we're just gonna flip by all that and move uh, you know halfway through the book to the uh, the Prince Raman Mind Mindmaster story as we read from a weird world beyond our own. He comes. Drawing his fantastic powers from the dimensional six-sided sun, the tall stranger who now hurls himself to the defense of mankind against a cunning enemy—yes, it's Prince Rahman, Mind Master DC's newest and most offbeat hero, battling against the challenge of the Wizard of a Thousand Moods. <laughs> so in our splash, we see um, you know Rahman busting out a, a mental blast. You know, I, I guess launching a car airborne as he thinks. Mm, yep. Elsa under the spell of Kaldaz. Must make that cab lighter than the air itself, or she'll be doomed. As Elsa is also apparently floating, <laughs> swinging her arms going, ha ha ha, ha 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 uh, ha And then some little strange, you know, uh, dwarf man in the front here is saying, Prince Raman, his power is tremendous, I must destroy him. Just a, a very odd scene altogether, which, you know, I think we'll clarify as we get into this story. So we begin with basically a recap of, uh, you know, who Prince Raman is. As we read, traveling across barriers between the two worlds, a mysterious stranger now dwells in Mark Merlin's mansion, a new battler against the unknown who calls himself Prince Rahman, Mindmaster. As we see, uh, you know, him and Elsa going over some stuff. Oh, Prince Rahman, I miss Mark so. I can't believe he's dead. But you've been such a comfort. (laughs) As Mark's friend, it's the least I can do, Elsa. (laughs) Yeah, the least. So it begins. But where do you come from? I've lived all over the world, my dear. Mark left me his house and his vast collection of the occult with the last request that I carry on his work as the champion against dark forces everywhere. Yes, that sounds plausible, <laughs> ra as, uh, as he thinks, I cannot tell Elsa the truth, that I come from the dimensional world of Ra, that I really am the reincarnation of an ancient Egyptian prince, and that it was only by Mark giving up his own life back in Ra that I was able to be born, that I am both Prince Ra-Man and the spirit of Mark Merlin in one. as uh, we see uh, Memcada, the cat, you know, curl up on on his shoulder. This is a very sort of complex backstory. Like, you know, yeah. it seems like overly uh, involved.
1: But it's Mark Merlin, yeah. so it makes sense. Maybe. <laughs> or I guess it's now Prince Rahman.
0: Yeah. So a- anyway, Elsa notices, you know, the, the cat and says, uh, Rahman, look, Memkata likes you. Mark was the only other man she ever liked. And, you know, I like you too. And I like you Elsa," says uh, Raman. But then he thinks... But I dream, too, of the dark-haired Rima, whom I left back in Ra. When will I ever (laughs) see her again? If ever... Now, wait a minute. Did Raw man leave Rima? Did he even ever meet her? Like... Oh, but I guess the... The The spirit of Mark's memory. Yeah, see, this is way too complex. Anyway, (laughs) there's much to keep the Mind Master occupied in this world. For in a downtown skyscraper, uh, we see a man busting into a room. It's Mr. Griggs, says uh, apparently a secretary dropping her papers. Aye, hey, help me, help me,' says Mr. Griggs, you know, in a frantic mode. "'He's in a state of panic,' says another girl. <laughs> "'As the next moment, he lunges for the window. <laughs> "'Let go of me! They're after me! "'Mr. Griggs, there's no one after you and the streets 70 stories below! "'Hold him, Ed!' As "'They're, they're trying to restrain him from, from leaping from the window. Um, "'So not long after, you know, we flash back to the mansion on Mystery Hill. "'You've gone through all of Mark's files, man. "'What's wrong?' says Elsa. "'This story about M.T. Griggs, Elsa. "'A bold, brilliant man like him, suddenly panicking.' doesn't make sense oh so obviously it's it says not long after but obviously it must be a couple of days after because you know he's reading it in the newspaper his last visitor just before the panic was Xandor kaldaz is that a is that a uh, no i thought it was a palindrome for a second but no uh, a charlatan whom mark merlin was trying to expose a cunning experimenter in the field of emotional control i must leave you for a while oh better not be psychopirate. <laughs> <laughs> be careful raw man, says elsa so shortly after, in the private room of a large hospital, we see Rahman climbing in the window. "'Who are you?' says uh, says Griggs in the bed. "'A friend, Mr. Griggs. Do not be alarmed. Prince Rahman has come to help you.' And as the burning but reassuring eyes of the tall stranger fix on the distraught man, "'Yes. Yes, I feel I can trust you,' says Griggs. "'You want to know what happened? Caldars came to my office, made an offer to buy all my vast interests for a ridiculous price.' "'I threw him out, of course, but right afterwards panic seized me. "'I ordered all my holdings sold to Kaldas, in- including the Mazarine Metronome, "'and then the panic completely overwhelmed me. "'The Mazarin Metronome?' asked Rahman. "'What is it? Tell me.' "'Tired. Must sleep. Sleep.' As, uh, "'I see Griggs passing out. "'So, slipping away, as silently he came, the Mindmaster meets Elsa on a city street. "'Rahman, what did you learn?' says Elsa.' But I suspected, Elsa, that Kaldas somehow exerted control over Griggs' emotions and ruined him. Bought him out for a song. But I must have proof. More clues. Just then, over the car radio, we hear, Flash! Men mob starving jail demanding release of convicted prisoner Nicholas Sarian. Yes, the uh, the old newsreel <laughs> reporter from the Dr. Fate story's got a job as a, <laughs> as a radio reporter. You know, He's got to work, too. So... <laughs> Syrian says Rahman, well, he's a former associate of Kaldas. Hurry, Elsa. So, racing to the city jail, we see a, a mob gathered outside. Release Syrian! he's innocent. Release him or we'll tear the jail apart stone by stone. Good heavens, Rahman, says Elsa, look at those people. Their faces all seething with rage. Again, the strange burning gaze of Rahman works its spell, and the pair are allowed entry through a rear door. As, uh, as they approach the, the warden of the jail, who says... I can't give orders to harm the crowd, but what would make respectable people clamor for the release of a guilty criminal? It doesn't make sense. Perhaps it does, says Rahman. Quickly, Syrian's trial records, do you have them here? And, uh, and apparently he does, uh, because he hands over, you know, Syrian's record, including his confession. And, uh, Elsa's looking out the window and says, Rahman, that man lounging near the crowd, it's Kaldas. You're right, he must have some connection with all this. Yes, Elsa, I'm positive, says Rahman, you know, looking out the window as well. He's controlling the crowd somehow and more people are joining it. I must quiet them. So, stepping out fearlessly, Ra Man exerts the marvelous power he gained back in the world of Ra. Who's that character? Says the crowd. Shove him out of the way! And uh, Ra Man thinks, I call the source of my power, the six-sided green son of Ra, to will this paper to become, <laughs> as it grows, hey, it's like a huge billboard. And uh, yeah, the paper begins filling the sky, reading, I, Nicholas Syrian, do confess that I did willingly commit the crimes charged against me. Well, I'll be," says a member of the crowd. "Syrian is guilty. He admitted it. What are we doing here? Have we all gone crazy? It worked, thanks, Raw Man. It shocked them out of the mood. So, as the crowd quietly disperses, we see at a distance a, a, an evil doer watching it. That stranger—he's got some fantastic power. He thwarted my plan to free the, my old partner, Syrian. Well, I have powers too, There's a. Rahman and Elsa head for their car, and they suddenly see Elsa begin flipping out. <laughs> oh, ha, ha ha! I feel so giddy, Elsa, that taxi Raman cries as Elsa you know just in, in a daze begins you know stumbling out into the road. Kaldaws thinks, Raman he must be using that emotion control again. It doesn't affect me, but he's put Elsa in deadly danger, so as fast as thought, Prince Raman again projects his startling power of mind over matter and uh, and so this, this is the scene that we saw on the splash page he, uh, he Projects his beam at the cab and like floats it over Elsa's head. For a brief moment, that cab must be light, lighter than air. Thinks Raman, as he does this and then turns his attention to Elsa. As oh, Elsa's fainting. That near miss must have shocked the giddiness from her. And uh, you know, Raman catches her before she hits the ground. He's beaten me again, says the uh, the baddie, zooming away. My emotion control didn't work on him. He has incredible powers. So minutes later, as uh, Raman you know drives away with the unconscious Elsa. Kaldas is gone, says Rahman, but I recall from Mark's files that the power for such a motion control must of necessity be quite large. Kaldas could only carry a small remote control device with him. So shortly, uh, we see Rahman drive into uh, the driveway of a large estate. The best place for the power source is Kaldas' estate. Excellent, he hasn't returned yet, says Rahman, driving up. So leaving Elsa, reviving the car, the Mind Master enters the mansion where... A lab and a collection of occult objects, he says, uh, you know, seeing Kaldas' stash. According to Mark's files, they were obtained by trickery, so I have no qualms about entering. Um, and so as, you know, Raman you know, peeks around, he finds in a nearby vault an electronic device with a turning antenna. It must be the power source of Kaldaz's emotion control. This ends his corrupt control, he says, as he grabs like a, a nearby pipe wrench and just smashes in this little device. Um... And so then afterwards, you know, the man from another world rejoins Elsa, as uh, she's now woken up. You're sure that Kaldos' reign of emotion is over, Roman? Yes, Elsa. I don't know what he uses to control or project the changes in mood, but I'm sure that without that power source, he can't affect anyone's emotions now. So, so we see the pair, you know, re-entering the city, and we see another crowd going wild, uh, this time outside of uh, Kaldos Enterprises, you know, which apparently is valuable real estate in South America for sale, Rahman, those people, they all look mad with greed. As, uh, you know, they're punching out <laughs> you know, people to get inside this uh, this building. I was wrong, says Rahman. Kaldoz is still operating. I must have destroyed a decoy power source. That land belonged to Griggs before and is worthless desert area. Must put a stop to this. But before he can, uh, we see, you know, Kaldos, you know, the, the little baddie from before, you know, jump out holding something in his hand. As uh, Rahman spins around saying, Kaldoz, what's that? Just a metronome, my friend. Just a metronome, but the next moment the device for measuring musical time is clicking, and the Mazarine metronome says, "Raw man, that you swindle from Griggs exactly." But your awareness comes too late to save yourself from a deadly energy being, as the uh, the metronome shoots <laughs> out like I say, yeah, this energy
1: energy fish,
0: right? This energy shark with you know whatever the heck, like metallic tentacles coming from its face. Um, so, but before this supernatural winged menace can strike uh raw man thinks, my only hope is to use mind over matter to halt its flight. As, uh, we see, the, the, once again, the, the scene from the cover mm-hmm. this time, you know, him shooting out this beam of energy, ricocheting it off the mailbox and putting it in the way of the, uh, you know, floating energy shark. <laughs> and so as the metal hand formed of the mailbox, oh, so that's what he did. He's using the metal of the box to make a shape. So as the metal hand formed of the mailbox leaps out to intercept the hurtling attacker with a... Uh, Fazung. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it works, you know, but uh, knocks Raw Man to the ground. Raw Man, oh, he's hurt, says Elsa, rushing up. His powers tramped again, thinks uh, Kaldos. Um, Perhaps now, in his dazed condition, he'll prove vulnerable to my emotional control. I'll try the most powerful emotion of all, hate. As uh, we see him holding a a sort of Zippo remote control, right? You know, with different emotions labeled on it. We see envy, joy, anger, greed, and hate. And, uh, you know, Caldas of course, went right for the hate button. So, Raman, you beast, says uh, Elsa. You evil charlatan, I despise you, obviously, hit by the right. hate beam. Hate beam. You witch, you dare lay your hands on Prince Ramen, says Ramen, also filled with hate. Fiend monster, says Elsa. Haha, it worked, says Kaldaz. Even the strange Prince Raman succumbed to the emotion of hate. So, as the cunning Kaldaz roars away in his limousine, he thinks, Another obstacle in my path removed. Now to plan a few more profitable capers at my secret hideout. So shortly, at a deserted desert farm, uh, you know, we see Kaldas driving up thinking, who would suspect that old silo contains the basis for making Xandor Kaldos the greatest tycoon of all? And so we see inside the silo a sort of, a uh, giant phrenology head, you know, one of those things they used to miss. I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, the bumps on the head that you could tell, like, you know, what different things correspond to. But this one uh, apparently has corresponding, you know, to his, his emotion control. Again, we see fear, hate, envy, greed, and joy all laid out on the statue. Yes, who would guess, says Kaldos, that my cunning brainchild, the emotion projector, is here. No one, Kaldos, save me, says a voice from off panel. Uh, as Kaldos spins around and sees that it's raw, man. And I left you seething with hate. I only faked being under the control of the mood, Kaldaz, to put you off guard and follow you to the true source of your corrupt power. I'll destroy you, Prince Raman," says Kaldaz. The Mazarin Metronome has other deadly menaces y- even you can't stop. Uh, but suddenly, you know, Raman shoots out another energy blast from his head. Uh, you know, this time at the uh, the emotion controller, phrenology dummy-labeled thing, whatever. <laughs> As uh, what's happening? As uh, we see the uh, you know the material of this dummy you know sort of come to life and wrap itself around Kaldaws as uh, you know the very next moment trapped Kaldaws says Rahman by part of your own brainchild which will soon be put out of commission forever, and so some time later you know we flash back to the mansion on Mystery Hill that uh, you know Rahman has usurped, <laughs> as uh, Elsa says then everything Kaldaws gained by his scheme has been returned and now he's going to prison. Yes, Elsa, says Rahman, and I thank the stars I was able to bring Mark Merlin's last foe to justice. Poor Mark, says Elsa. He died fighting the unknown, the darkness in men's hearts and minds he, he so hated. But Prince Rahman lives on to carry his struggle, Elsa, with you by my side. Oh. Prince Rahman, my master, faces the challenge of the unknown in the next issue of House of Secrets. Don't miss it. So, uh, so yes, this is the, uh, the new... Star of the the Mark Merlin, you know, strip in House of Secrets, and um, like I said, uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit before, but uh, this character, you know, um, uh, Prince Raman, I mentioned that he's tied to the Mark Merlin mythos. Well, he's mm-hmm. also um, a little bit, you know, going to be tied to the other uh, character in House of Secrets, you know, our, our old friend Eclipso. Okay. Um, so as much as I don't want to, you know, read additional Eclipso stories, you know, at some point we're going to take a look at the the crossover, you know, between these two. Um, Oh, one other thing I hate. I just noticed one other thing I want to mention real quick, Um, not necessarily about this story, but the little ad um, that that wraps up the, uh, you know, the final page of the Prince Rahman story is only a half pager. And then we got an ad on the bottom. I mentioned that... um, you know, uh, you would see the revival of uh, some of these golden age characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both in Showcase and the Brave and the Bold. Um, here's the second pairing. You know, formerly we'd you know you and I had read the uh, Doctor Fate Hourman crossover. Uh, the next two to be revived. You know, in a team up in Brave and the Bold is actually Starman and uh, and your friend here, Black Canary. Mm-hmm.
1: She's so, my girl.
0: Yeah. So I don't know that we're going to read that man, that one, but um, you know, we will see these two characters probably in some more of those uh, JLA JSA crossovers. Alright, so um, so yeah, so those are our stories, such as they are um, for tonight, you know, the death of Mark Merlin and the uh, the Wizard of a Thousand Moods. Um, so, not too, too much content, you know, we want to sort of keep this one a little bit shorter tonight, you know, so I think, uh, you know, with that in mind, I'm just going to, uh, you know, put it over to you directly then, um, you know, for your judgments on, on these stories. So, the first story we looked at, you know, was the uh, aptly titled... Death of Mark Merlin, um, you know, our our fan favorite character here, you know, transported to uh, another dimension and you know, sort of usurped by a brand new character. You know, what are what are your thoughts on uh, on that?
1: So the title of it, you know, the death of Mark Merlin, it just it kind of seems like it maybe should have been titled the, the birth of Prince Raman <laughs> instead. Um, Raman is more like um, like a new and improved Mark Merlin. With better facial hair. <laughs> He's a more intense character. He's got more powers than Mark Merlin had. And it kind of follows the trend of bringing in more superheroes. Yeah.
0: Like I was saying in the, the last Mark Merlin episode that, that we did, you know, that really was kind of what they were going for. You know, these early 60s was really the, the sort of, you know, I was going to say the golden age. But no, it was the silver age of superheroes, you know, like for a long time that hadn't been the popular thing. Um, but, you know, with the advent of things like the Justice League and so on and so forth, absolutely. That was the the new, you know, hot item. So wherever possible, they, they would want to, uh, you know, superhero these characters. And we saw a little bit of that, you know, before with, you know, the, the Memcata power and then, you know, Dr. Seven is the arch nemesis. Mm-hmm. This, this is sort of the natural extension of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it does make sense. Um, however, I have to say that um, I kind of like Mark Merlin better, you know, even though he was like oddly perceptive. I did like him better. He was like, he was still pretty human.
0: Yeah. He's a um, more, more believable character, right? Yeah.
1: You know. um Man and, and Rima was a little soap opera-y, you know, like Rima's like completely throwing herself at raman or excuse me, at, at, at Mark, he was still Mark Merlin. Then. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then like, and he was also like attracted to her, but still wanted to get back to Elsa. And I'm like,
0: what are you doing? No, I'm, t- I'm telling you, dude, like, this, I think the subtext between, like, you know, all these Mark Merlin stories is really, you know, sort of like early 60s sexual deviance, right? Like we were <laughs> saying before how Elsa used to roofie him, and this really explores the whole, like, you know, swinger aspect of their relationship, I think. Yeah, really.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the artwork for the two of them, I have to say, like, you know, the, the artwork, it's it's just different. You know, like the artwork in the previous Mark Merlin stories had a lot of depth. It was more theatrical. And, yeah. You know, kind of wanted to see it in a panoramic layout. Um, this, I have to say, like the the facial expressions were more detailed, mm-hmm. but only on the male characters. On the male
0: characters. Yeah. The
1: female characters were, uh, they just had smaller features. Whereas like the, except for one panel um, where there was a cheek shaded on on one of the females.
0: Yeah, well, some of that might be uh, residual, you know, I guess habit from Bernard Bailey. Like I say, he was mostly a a golden age artist, and certainly as we would have seen mm. from those Doctor Fate stories or whatever, you know, women were not necessarily the the, the leads in, in any of these. So you know, maybe Bernard Bailey just never got in the habit mm-hmm. of giving women a lot of detail. Okay. Um, but but no, I do agree with you though. His uh, his shading was quite nice. He, he was inking himself on that, and he definitely has a. Uh, a different inking style than Mort Meskin, but um, you know what? Quite nice, I think.
1: So between the two of them, I did like this story better.
0: This story better. Okay. So then, before we move on to the second one, you know what? Uh, you know what's your parliament and you know parliamenty judgment? Uh, parliament-y. On, yeah. yeah on, on this one, and the bird live or die. He lives. He yeah. lives. Okay. Good. All right, so then moving into, uh, you know, our second story, which is, you know, kind of a, you know, I would say kind of a direct follow-up, you know, it, a couple panels to, to wrap up that story, but then it sort of went into, you know, just a, another, uh, you know, uh, adventure uh, would be the Wizard of a Thousand Moods. Uh, you know, what did you feel about this one?
1: Reminiscent of Psychopirate. <laughs> um, some odd body structures in uh, it mm. uh Very large head, extremely tiny little itty-bitty legs.
0: Yeah, you were, oh, one, one quick thing before we get, it. you were motioning to me, this is for the benefit of our listeners, you were motioning to me as I was describing the uh, uh, splash panel and I think what you were getting at was that Elsa wasn't actually floating, <laughs> like, like I, I looked at her and I thought she was floating through the air and you, she wasn't, no. yeah, yeah, so we found out later she was just sort of like giddily skipping along or whatever, Yeah, but uh, sorry, I didn't mean to usurp, go ahead. No, 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 it's fine,
1: see. so this story was more like an adventure between Elsa and Raman I'd make him sound like noodles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, it's ter- like, it's, uh, it's tempting to, to read it that way, right? Yeah, it like is. Ramen.
1: Yeah. Um, it was, um, also had that same kind of, like, soap opera kind of atmosphere between, you know, between Elsa and, and now Raman. It was a little disturbing how Raman was, like, interacting with all of Mark Merlin's stuff, but, like.
0: And how it, she just accepts it. She's just yeah, like, well, and they
1: liked each other. Yeah. You know, and, Anyway, you know, so back to that soap opera thing. But.
0: Yeah, but so that was sort of the framing sequence. Well, then what about the body of the story itself? What did you think of, like, the Caldas tale? All
1: right, well, Caldaz wasn't really a developed character, but um, it was just, like it, it was kind of like um, Roman just stepped into what Mark Merlin was, except now he can control things with his mind.
0: Yeah, really. It's almost kind of like a cipher, right? Like, you could have erased that character, put Mark Merlin in, and the story would have been no different.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah,
0: so well, yeah. So the, you beg, begs the question, then, what's the real value of this revamp? And like I was saying, you know, maybe it's just to, like, kind of sell him as a superhero. Although, I do have to sort of wonder, if that's your intent, is to make him more appealing to children, why do you make him look so, like... Old fogey, right? You know, he's like, you know, like he's got the the weird, like, sort of, you know, goatee, facial hair, the sort of like streak through his hair. Oh my gosh! No, you know what? As I'm saying this, I know exactly why they did it.
1: The magician guy.
0: No, uh, what magician guy?
1: Like I remember names.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I think what you're getting at, and, and and I and this just dawned on me, is that they're trying to make him look like Doctor Strange, the uh, the Marvel sorcerer supreme. I, I got to check the dates on this, but I'll bet that's it. You know, Marvel at the time, Stan Lee, you know, as all this was going on, was totally changing the the world, you know, introducing things like Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, so on and so forth. And one of the major characters over there was, like I say, the Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange, who was this sort of, you know, I, I'm not that familiar with the character, but, you know, he's definitely almost like a Doctor Fate type, you know, like the Eldritch Magic and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. That's Ex- oh, i'll bet, I bet that's exactly what, <laughs> what raw man's based on
1: well knowing you i'll bet you're right yeah
0: I gotta, i'll take <laughs> that i'm gonna for folks listening i'm gonna f- follow up on this and i'll get back next episode <laughs> with some research on that but uh yeah so that's my thought all okay, right so but what are your thoughts <laughs> Go, going to you know this story um you know you, w- 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 does this bird live or die
1: well even though um it, it was a little disconcerting that you know raw man is like playing with Memkata and like flirting with the lady. I, I'm, so, I'm 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 going to let this bird live. I'm mm. I'm holding out hope here that you know it's it's not just going to be like it, it's not going to fall flat.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Well, two two stories that that you let live. I I I have a sneaking suspicion it's just you know residual fondness for it, Mark it Merlin. Be, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, we'll see we'll see how your uh, your fondness for Raw Man holds up when we look at the uh, um you know uh, crossover there with Eclipse. So. But
1: we already have the good faith bird living thing. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: All right, so before we put this episode to bed, though, um, we did get a little bit of feedback on our uh, uh, email. Um, once again, for folks listening, that is uh, tporpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we got a letter in this week um, from our, uh, our old friend Nancy Gefkin, uh, you know, who you've met, Melanie.
1: Hi, Nancy. All
0: right, so, uh, so Nancy writes. Uh, way behind with comments, uh, but I've been enjoying your podcast. They're so informative, and you make a great team.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: going back to Mark Merlin, very timely comment here. Uh, <laughs> I was unfamiliar with this character. Too bad. It sounds like he could have had promise uh, reworked for more contemporary times. Maybe not to carry his own book, um, but the clean-cut good guy to counter John Constantine? Uh, Zatanna's boyfriend. Hmm. Curator of the Museum of Magic, as Antonio Stefanacci will be in the verse. Uh, besides, I like cats. Uh, yeah, so Antonio <laughs> Stefanacci, just for your benefit, is a um, in the Legion of Superheroes. He exists in the 30th century, and he's the curator of um, the Museum of Magic, which, believe it or not, is actually a a real thing out in California. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: that sounds cool. So
0: and so Nancy goes on that uh, she likes my Solomon Grundy voice. It uh, made the character a lot more interesting. Uh, she'd never heard the voice in her head before. Um, well, credit where credit's due, that's not entirely my voice, um, you know, I, I based that voice on the on the way that he sounded in the Super Friends, as you would know, you know, mm-hmm. being a <laughs> yeah, fan of that. It. right, so, and she uh, she continues that, uh, would we believe that she actually had the 45 of Palisades Park, <laughs> 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 the, uh, the song that we used at the uh, end of uh, episode two, I think it was, she uh, says it came to her from uh, her older brother, uh, but she loved it when she was eight years old, and so it was funny to hear it again. Uh, she wonders why there's so many stories uh, from the 50s and 60s set in amusement parks uh, maybe dc had uh, some co-promotional mojo going on you know at least as she remarks until the uh, the amusement ended in the killing joke um which is a uh, rather dark batman story from the the 80s where the uh, the joker uh, kidnaps commissioner gordon and sort of tortures him <laughs> in amusement oh, park wow, that is pretty <laughs> yeah dark. yeah so uh and then she uh, she goes on about our dr fate episode um that the uh, the comment that the egyptians did not build the pyramid that aliens did uh, surprised her she says that's a uh, an idea way ahead of its time um it's a common theme today on shows like uh, coast to coast which is a uh, an AM uh, radio show about the supernatural type thing. Mm. Uh, she wonders uh, how far back the idea really goes, uh, remarking that it's uh, similar to uh, The Face on Mars, uh, apparently a story done by Jack Kirby in 58. I don't know that one. Um, but that's a realm of conspiracy rather than mis- uh, mysticism. Uh, she says that you had a nice catch about uh, Dr. Fate's uh, costume colors, mm. right? The uh, what was it? the desert thing, the sun and the sand.
1: No, the sky. and The sky,
0: yeah, yeah. the sky. Yeah. And... Um, and that oh, and that she didn't give much thought to the uh, the sinister origin story. Well, honestly, neither did I. <laughs> that was your idea, so good catch. Uh, she says that uh, as kids they just accepted the idea and that sort of thing. You know, went on in the golden age. Um, so it's good to have fresh eyes reviewing these books. I agree, sweetie. Um, so Johnny Thunder uh, is another character she never knew much about Uh, she speculates that Johnny Thunder might be the snapper car of Earth 2 probably yes (laughs) so the Thunderbolt uh, obviously smarter than Johnny Um, they might have had some fun with that in the other era Uh, he lasted a long time in one form or another but uh, they deep sixed Mark Merlin no justice indeed (laughs) in fact they they deep six sided son to Mark Merlin (laughs) so so she's looking forward to future podcasts so thank you Nancy that was a, a lovely letter um, and, uh, and once again, we do want to solicit, you know, more feedback from folks listening. Um, don't forget, you know, we do have our, our contest out there. Uh, we didn't get any entries into the contest, so I, I promised I would give an additional clue. Um, so once again, the contest basically is that in Episode 8, which was a spotlight on Johnny Thunder, uh, when I was doing the, uh, the playback, I noticed that I used a phrase that was related to another uh, Thunder-related character in the DCU. And the contest basically is if you can identify what that phrase is and when in the episode you hear it, you know, write in, and uh, you know, with those two pieces of information, and if you're the first one, I'll send you out a little uh, DC-related prize. Um, So the first clue is that the specific thunder-related character it is is actually a character by the name of Jakim Thunder. So if you know what that is, find it in episode eight, write in, tell me the uh, the time spot, and uh, you know, little prize is yours. All right, so uh, so that's all we had on the docket. Do you, unless you had something else,
1: Mm-mm, you know? I'm good.
0: All right, so so once again, you know, I, I like I say, I did want to dedicate this episode, you know, to uh, to my friend Michael Lash, and um, and you know, thank everyone, you know, for for dealing with the uh, the delay on the episode. Um, once again, we hope you had a good time tonight. We hope you enjoyed these stories, and we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast.
1: Thanks, everybody. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email us at tporpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Get the stars, and here's a reason that he's so free. Here's a loving baby. She threw
1: i bye not buying my rank of bye i your i
0: Stair.